0: You may have heard of a new Netflix documentary called The Tinder Swindler, a fascinating story of a multi-million dollar romance scam that was so well thought out and expertly executed. Today's episode is about what we can learn from the Tinder Swindler story to keep ourselves safer. Now, here's a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen The Tinder Swindler yet, this podcast episode contains spoilers. Go see it on Netflix first, or if you don't care about spoilers, just keep listening. For those who haven't seen it, the Tinder swindler tells the true story of a charming guy who romanced women he met on Tinder, taking them on expensive trips and buying them lavish gifts. He used an alias, Simon Leviev, to help him claim he was the son of a well-documented billionaire diamond dealer. He also said he was in the diamond business himself, a very dangerous business, according to him, and that he traveled constantly for business. After meeting each woman on Tinder, there was a whirlwind romance with lots of whining and dining and travel, and then Simon eventually professed his undying love. After a few months, something terrible happened. Simon claimed he'd been physically attacked by his enemies, and that he couldn't access his money or credit cards anymore because of the attack. So he asked his new girlfriend or friend for a little money to help him. Then more money. And then even more money, which he promised to pay back double or triple when the trouble was over. And he was good for it too, right, because he had all his money. He manipulated them emotionally by telling them, You're the only one who can help me. If they stopped sending money, he got angry and threatened them. Simon did this scam repeatedly, serially, and used the money he was currently swindling out of one girlfriend to romance the next. The private jets, the parties with endless champagne, these were all paid for, by a worried girlfriend in some other country, wondering whether Simon's enemies would attack him again. The documentary focuses on three women, two of whom gave Simon more than $100,000 before they pulled the plug. The documentary estimates that Simon swindled various people out of more than $10 million through various scams, including this one. The story of the tinder swindler would be unbelievable if it weren't so well-documented. And that's why it's so fascinating. These are educated, accomplished women who were just looking for love or even friendship. And they got duped. How could this happen? It's easy to get on your high horse and say, these women were stupid or greedy But this guy was a master manipulator, and personally, I can see how they fell for it. I know women who have fallen for romance scams for a lot less money, but still a pretty similar scam. Instead of taking the easy way out and blaming the victims for letting it happen, how about we look at what we can learn from the Tinder Swindler story? To figure this out, I broke down the separate triggers used to manipulate his victims and the red flags that popped up along the way. Again, this is not to shame the victims, who were, after all, just looking for love. This is to help others avoid the same types of scams, whether it's for $100 or $100,000. Red flag number one. Why is a super-rich guy looking for love on Tinder and showing off all his money in the pictures. I've actually dated a couple of very wealthy guys, and they didn't advertise it. And In fact, they kept it hidden because they wanted someone who loved them for them, not because of their money. On my very first date with the richest guy I ever dated, We hung out and watched a movie, and then we played a game of Yahtzee. I'm not kidding, Yahtzee. We had a great time that night and on our dates after that. And yeah, he took me on some amazing trips, but not until we'd been dating for a while. Any rich guy who brags about his money is either pretty insecure or looking for an easy hookup or maybe a con artist. Red flag number two. Simon played the mysterious bad boy. He talked about how dangerous the diamond business is, and he was secretive and mysterious about exactly why and how it was so dangerous. The thing is, people who actually live a dangerous life don't talk about it. Anyone who tells you about it is just trying to impress you. Walk away. Red flag number three. To get his girlfriends to fall in love with him, Simon needed a vulnerable side to balance the bad boy image. He played the wounded bird, someone who had been so badly hurt in the past, and he needs his girlfriend's loving care to make his heart whole again. Oh. Red flag number four. Simon was very lovey-dovey really early on, While we'd all love to believe in the fairy tale of instant true love, and there's the odd story out there of it actually happening, the fact of the matter is, it's just not what usually happens. And none of these stories include one of the partners asking the other to wire them a huge sum of money after just a couple of months of intermittent and mysterious dating. So there he was, the lovey-dovey bad boy with a tender, vulnerable side. Basically, Prince Charming. I've got my own story to share with this. When I had just moved into a new neighborhood, I met a guy who seemed interesting and cool. Let's call him Waylon. We met at our local convenience store, of all places. We got chatting, and I mentioned I had just moved in down the street. So we exchanged numbers and agreed to meet for coffee a few days later. Now, Waylon ended up canceling, but he kept texting me and telling me he was so interested in hanging out with me because I was so intriguing and fascinating. My conversation with him at the store wasn't that interesting, but whatever. I like meeting new people. Over the next few weeks, we set up more coffee dates, but Waylon kept canceling, while still insisting he really wanted to see me. This seemed weird to me, but not particularly dangerous. Then one Saturday afternoon, I had a few people over my house to hang out, so I invited Wayland to join us. Suddenly, Wayland was available, and he came right over. Now comes a kind of weird part. I had only one kind of beer in my fridge, and it happened to be Wayland's favorite. It was fate, he said and I had his favorite kind of cookies. He knew that we were meant to be together. (laughs) I mean, that got my radar up. I'm not that fascinating, and I'm not about to take a preference for beer or cookies as a sign from the universe that true love is coming my way. With me clearly not falling for this line, Waylon turned his attention to my friend, Sandra, and there he found his mark. Within a couple of days, they were inseparable. She told me all about him, how he had been in black ops in the army, <clears throat> bad boy, and how he was making a fortune managing apartment buildings all around the city. But strangely, Wayland was always forgetting to bring his wallet when they went out, even once when they went to a Burger King drive through Wow. After a few weeks, Sandra told me they were moving in together. I asked her who was paying for all of this, And after some hemming and hawing, Sandra admitted that she was paying for the new apartment. You see, poor Waylon, he was waiting on a big payment from work, and he would pay her back as soon as he got that. By this time, my spidey senses were on high alert, but Sandra could not be convinced that something wasn't right. Then came the tearful call. After months of paying no rent at all, Wayland had alternately lovey-duvied and bullied Sandra out of her entire life savings, all $11,000 of it. And then he disappeared. The lesson here is that the fraudster looks for someone who believes in fate, in fairy tale love. Wayland tried that beer and cookies business on me, and when I rolled my eyes and went, yeah, right he immediately looked around for an easier mark. Sandra was lonely and naive and vulnerable, and if she said she loved the crescent moon and pink lilies, then Wayland loved those things too. What a coincidence. I very much doubt Wayland actually had a preference for beer or cookies or the crescent moon or anything else. To him, it was whatever the lady said, that's what he liked. I've always felt bad that Sandra met Wayland only because I'd invited him over to my house. But by the time I told her he sounded like bad news, the train had already left the station, she was in fairytale love. With regard to the tinder swindler, I think this was perhaps the most powerful thing Simon had going for his romance victims. He made them believe that their love was meant to be. Now, one of the victims in the documentary wasn't a lover, just a friend, but she actually bailed on Simon much sooner and didn't lose as much money. The women he managed to convince about true love just kept going and going and going because true love is worth fighting for and worth losing everything for, right? Red flag number five. Simon wanted personal documents from his ladies, a photo of their passport or driver's license. This is important to the scammer for various reasons, from falsifying credit card applications to threatening to show up on their doorstep and deliver bodily harm if they won't send him money. Red flag number six. Simon wanted his girlfriend to give him her credit card and to open new credit cards for him to use. Letting someone use your credit cards for whatever they want is generally a terrible idea, especially when they're outside the country and you don't know them really all that well. Pretty much every story I've ever heard that starts with, I gave him my credit card, has ended badly. The only good thing about it is, if you figure it out soon enough, you can always report the card stolen and get all those transactions reversed. If your boyfriend or girlfriend asks for your credit card, you should be able to ask questions. How about you ask one of your family members for a credit card, or your best friend, or someone from work? Red flag number seven. Simon used a powerful emotional trigger to keep these women from looking too closely at his troubles. When he supposedly got beat up and all his assets were unavailable, he said, You're the only one who can help me. Wow. While it can be very flattering to hear that you're going to get to play the Obi-Wan Kenobi to someone else's Princess Leia, it's a good idea to take a step back and ask, How is it that I'm the only one who can help you? Really, me? Who you've known for only a few months? Why don't you ask your family for help? Sure, there are legitimate reasons why people can't do this, but Simon's father was a billionaire. You mean your billionaire father can't scrape together a couple thousand dollars for you, and you can't go stay at his house? What's up with that? Part of Simon's scam was that he had an entourage which included a bodyguard, who was also his very good friend. Doesn't your good friend the bodyguard have a few dollars set aside that you can use for now? Simon was supposedly an executive at a diamond company. You mean that out of the entire company, there's not one single person who can find some cash for you? These scammers often have a good answer at the ready. They can't ask their family because of a terrible falling out the last holiday. Oh, and everybody else's credit cards are being watched, too. But for some reason, wire transfers were okay. Simon's enemies apparently weren't sophisticated enough to trace those. Simon relied on his victims not understanding how improbable this scenario was. I mean, how exactly were his enemies watching his credit card transactions? The police have a hard time getting this kind of access. So Simon's enemies would have had to be master hackers who had somehow breached American Express's internal systems and had real-time access to all the transactions going through and were looking specifically for Simon's transactions? Really? Come on, and if you're hiding from these enemies, Simon, what are you doing flying all over the world? How about you go to your dad's house and lay low? Simon told another victim that all his assets had been seized as part of an arrest warrant. Things like this leave a paper trail. You should be able to look up something about the arrest online, something with his name on it. If your friend or lover asks you for money and says you're the only one who can help them, don't be afraid to ask for details. If he or she is vague or tries instead to distract you with lovey-dovey talk, that is a red flag. If you're supposed to be a team, how come he's not sharing all the details with you? Always be willing to question why the money is needed why you're the only one who can give it to them, and maybe talk about other ways they could get it. Why don't you ask your family, ask your coworkers, sell your clothes, sell your car, your TV, or your expensive watch? If your so-called boyfriend or girlfriend gets angry or even threatens you, that's a big fat red flag. But don't just take my word for it. Tinder has even put out a list of dating safety tips that include all this information and more. The link is in the show notes. And also some good news. After many people contacted the ladies that got swindled in the Tinder swindler asking how they could help, they started a GoFundMe fundraiser and are raising money to help pay off their debts. The link is also in the show notes i got to say, I really enjoyed watching the Tinder Swindler. The story was really well put together, and the ending was kind of satisfying. If you haven't seen it yet, you'll see what I mean when you get there. One of the best things about it is we could all learn something from it. So let's learn what we can from this amazing story, and let's stay safe out there. This is Michelle Bousquet from How Hacks Happen, signing off.